The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, yo, yo. Oh, there we are. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to an edition of NBA Today Hoop Ball Presentation. I'm your host. Yeah, it started, it started off really laggy there. <laughs> it's Skype, y'all. Um, another episode of NBA I'm Today. Gonna, I'm going to kill uh, my video. Okay, I'm going to do the same. Yeah. <laughs> I'm your host, Corbin yeah. Ford. We're working through some Skype some Skype stuff. They, you know how it is. Um, but I am here and, and pumped to be here <laughs> Friend, mentor, brother, just good guy, NBA savant Alex West um, from Team Scouting and a bunch of other stuff, just basketball related. Alex, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Corbin. I'm I'm pumped to be here with you. I missed you just hanging out, t- you know, talking hoops. We we used to hang out so often, uh, you know, I get together late night Skype calls and all this. And I feel like I haven't seen you or talk to you but like three or four times the past few months so it is really good to be yeah. here to be doing this to be talking hoops it's just we're gonna have fun that's it hey, End of story you said it yes sir we gotta get back to our old ways here but um yeah, let's get started it's been i mean one of the many reasons i was pumped to have you on is because i want you to help me make sense of this league so far it's been really weird um we talked about it a little bit before we came on air but i mean there's so many aberrations. It feels almost like an extended preseason. We've had, what, 50, 20-point leads at this point so far. We've had so many blowouts. It's been – Christmas was just a mess in terms of basketball. It's been it's been a lot. Um, What are your early takeaways from, like, what's going on here? I mean, it's just bizarre. You know, it, it, top <laughs> to bottom, you start to look at the standings. You start to unpack as, as you know, you do when you're going to sit down and do a podcast. And you go, man. Orlando's six and two. Toronto's one and six. <laughs> Memphis is two and five. I mean, jaw injury, you know. But here's Phoenix at six and two in the top of the standings. Everything is kind of topsy turvy, and to me, that's really added to what's fun about this season. You know, amid all the the, the kind of serious things that are happening and the and the constant you know idea of the pandemic and all those things that are a little bit downers. You do have this chaos injected into the game, which is really fun. And so, uh, not to say it offsets or any, anything crazy like that, but there is there is something fun about a season that's a little bit chaotic because you're going to get different things. And, and and to me, Corbin, the most interesting thing that I've sort of taken from this first eight games or you know however many teams have played yeah. is that health is going to be a continually pervasive question. Is not just who's playing on any given night, but how does that affect rotations? Because all of a sudden, your seventh player, your eighth player, your ninth player, there's more weight put on these guys to insert themselves in the rotation, become a big part of teams. You know, there have been guys, just this evening, we're recording this on Thursday night, and just this evening, Bruce Brown played a really big part in a Brooklyn game. Brooklyn, with, I believe they ended up sneaking out a win over Philly. And so, you know, you get these guys who maybe aren't playing all the time, maybe you're playing limited minutes, but in a season where you're going to have, you know, pandemic related issues, you're going to have normal injuries. It becomes much more important for these guys. And I think that's really been my early takeaway is how fun it is to see these guys lower on the depth chart. Uh, but, you know, Peyton Pritchard, 
for the Boston Celtics two nights ago, hits a game winner against the defending Eastern Conference champions, the Miami Heat. Peyton Pritchard's yeah. a rookie. He's a rookie we didn't even think would be a first-round pick. And here we are. So uh, it's been really exciting just to, to see what this season is about and just all the fun things we can learn from chaotic basketball. No, you, you make an excellent point. And you're right. These The injuries, even, I guess, another way of saying is the absences. You mentioned uh, Bruce Brown getting more of a bigger role. In, in one minute, you know, the Nets, they lost a couple of games, but you have Kyrie, you have Kevin Durant, you're good. Next thing you know, you know, Kevin Durant's out for a week, yeah, out no, four what? games. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and you're and now you have to adjust on the fly. And, and like you said the the depth moves that Brooklyn made are big, but that just came out of nowhere. It's like okay, all of a sudden it's indiscriminate of your players. You know what I mean? It it, it just depends on uh, what who you come in contact with. All of a sudden you're out with this on what your schedule looks like. There's a tough stretch where you're where you're gone. And and so I think you're right. Like reaching back into you know not only the depth that you have, but also teams maybe taking advantage of, you know, extended time they've had to that extra continuity because you know that there will be gaps. If you look at the Clippers, um, there was a lot of talk about uh, the back-to-back they had between Phoenix and Golden State and how um, Kawhi Leonard played both games. And, and like, you know, he played it, he was probably healthier, that sort of thing. But also, think about this. You have a, a, a different team with Serge Ibaka, Nick Batum, Luke Kennard, other guys, and you have to build some continuity to continue this season. You can't have a redo of what you did last year where different guys are missing when if you're healthy and can play, you might want to make the most of it because you really don't know. Particularly in that exact instance last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whatever night you're listening to this Wednesday night. Uh, yeah. Clippers, Clippers, Warriors, really interesting game because Curry hasn't played very well. There's been some up and downs. When he's on, he's incredible, obviously. But a lot of what his trouble was last night was the the, the Clippers just kept finding people to 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 put on to him, to hound him, to to bother him. You know, I mean, you, you saw you saw Kawhi get some possessions, Paul George gets some possessions, Lou Williams. Uh, you know, of course, Pat Beverly's going to take the bulk of those. But you see these different guys, and that's what's really interesting about what the Clippers can do. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, that's the sexy part of the Clippers is you've got all these different dudes who are point of attack defenders who are incredible. And you're exactly right. Like the Clippers dialed up to 11 is something amazing, but it's also something we haven't seen. So that kind of trade-off is like Kawhi playing two back, playing games back to back nights, having a pretty good game, you know, didn't, wasn't overly spectacular last night, but you know, again, 2021, something like that. He, he, he played, he, he took that wear and tear and his team got a victory. And in this truncated season, I mean, I know it's only 10 games truncated, but in this truncated mm-hmm. season, they're, these inner inner division matches, Clippers, Warriors, or these inner conference matches that you see on a nightly basis are going to make a huge difference. I mean, I don't know, you know, as you project down the line, but you got to think that while home court advantage hasn't mean, uh, meant a thing so far this season, you got to think <laughs> yeah. as, you, as you start start to project out, like, well, you know, just outside of the idea of everything else, of you know, just in the basketball perspective. Man, home court advantage, if you're looking out towards April, May, and June, all of a sudden, man, that home court advantage may make a big difference. And that can come down to a Tuesday night in January. You know, is, did yeah. you win this game against the Warriors? Did you lose it? That's true. The ramifications, and that's why I think going off what you said, these strong starts, you don't know how it's going to shake out. I mean, we don't even know how right. the schedule is going to look the second half of the year right now. 
You know, you may have a real exactly. tough stretch of games going ahead. You know, national TV is going to kick in major, and you're right. These kind of run-of-the-mill games against, let's say, well, the Hawks are definitely far from run-of-the-mill, but let's say, like, the Pistons. You know, games that you, you, you could possibly get a loss, but you should be able to take care of business, and if you don't, yeah, come April, um, you'll be looking back going, uh, <laughs> we kind of messed up there, you know? Well, that's, you know, and that's exactly the NBA in a nutshell is the old adage is you got to beat the teams you can beat. When you line up on the court, if you're if you're a if you're a a Boston, a Philadelphia, a a Los Angeles Lakers, Los Angeles Clippers, when you play the Detroit's and the Minnesota's of the world, you got to go out there and get a win because you're you're going to split with good teams. You're going to 50 50 against teams kind of in your tier or thereabouts. So you got to get those wins against those bottom dwelling, those five, six, seven bottom dwelling teams, because if you don't, your life just becomes incredibly difficult. And then, of course, every single game you take away from the schedule exacerbates that problem. So there are 10 shorter games this season. So now, you know, it, it may not seem like a lot, but when you sort of start to do that calculus that each game costs a little bit more. It's it's a half percentage more than it did last year or, or whatever. That that starts to kind of you know make make sense in your head that each game each night means something, and you may not know what that is for a couple of months. But that, that's that's a really entertaining thing, and it leads to these examples like you said last night with, with Clippers and the, and the Warriors is you're going to see guys doing some unconventional stuff and then double down on that. You're going to see some lineups because coaches are just going to have to try some things based on who's available. They're just going to have to try these different lineups. And who knows? One of those may come back to help you out in, in May and June. You may find something. You may find a guy who's further down the bench, a Peyton Pritchard type, a Bruce Brown type. You know, these these guys that we've already talked about, and there's countless more as you start to look through the league. These guys who are eighth and ninth men, they may become valuable players because they have something to contribute that in a normal season you would have never found. And to me, that's really compelling and it's a really fun niche in, you know, guys like me and you are watching every night anyway. We're going to be watching <laughs> the product anyway. Yeah. But when you get something that's a little more compelling like this, it, it, it adds to the drama because, you know, like, man, Chris Boucher has played really well this season. You know, like, like one of those yeah. things. Like, yeah, Chris Boucher's played really well. And that is, that is to me, as I follow the league, it's, yeah, of course, Steph Curry and LeBron James are the ones putting seats, you know, eyeballs on TVs and butts and seats. But for me, it's kind of fun to find those little niche guys like a Chris Boucher and go, well, he's played really well this year. You know, Christian Wood or, or, or whoever. Uh, Ty- Tyrese Halliburton from Sacramento, who, like, he's sure. getting some buzz. Absolutely. But, like, the dude's been solid, you know? Or on the opposite, and I was really, really hopeful for, like, um, if we're gonna this, another one so I don't bury the lead, like a Killian Hayes or something or a Jeremy Gray. And like you said, there's so many people out there that – you're right. You you can you you get the minutia, you know, of the development or, or diamonds in the rough, and yeah, yeah. So I'm, I, I want to yeah, talk to you about that. Really fun. Huh? Yeah, it is exactly. That's that's really, and, really fun. Yeah, that's what it's about. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so I want to get your take on. I mean, let's kind of go into um some teams uh just that you've watched that we and we kind of talked about a little bit about some things of interest. But um, let me let's get started with you. Any uh one team you've had some kind of Define thoughts you kind of want to dive into a little bit here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, I guess it's not really that 
uh, crazy or anything, but I think the team that has caught my interest the most, I think the team that outside of my fandom, the team that I've watched the most of has got to be Golden State. There's just so much going on there. When you yeah. when you look at a team that has been so historic and so dominant, to all of a sudden be a the 21st best offense and the I, you know I, I, hold on I'm going to click through it and tell you the mm-hmm. 22nd ranked defense, but also at the same time they played so poorly to open up the season, three losses yeah. in a row, big big losses, you know nasty losses, but then all of a sudden. With Draymond coming back, uh, the difference in that, that they played in the past three games, you know, they started the season off ugly with with really lopsided losses, particularly uh, the game that, you know, really stuck out to me was that Portland loss, because you kind of look at those two teams and in a similar tier, Portland you probably, you know, put a little bit ahead of where Golden State is without Clay, um, but to, to lose by Thirty points to, to Portland felt really bad, and then all of a sudden Draymond back, and you, know, you, you get you turn around on those baseball type series, and you beat Portland a couple of days later, um, and then the big win over Sacramento, and then of course they lost the game last night to, to the Clippers, as we talked about. But it is kind of a switch that's flipped, and, and Draymond's a guy that I just immense respect for his ability to see the game, to play the game, um, to 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 be involved so much defensively and to be able to call so many things out and help the other guys on the team. I think Draymond is an incredibly underrated player, but the impact that he had come back and, and helping, helping them get these wins and who knows what's going to happen with this team, but I, it's so compelling because you've got Curry, you've got Draymond, then you've got the pieces that are the big questions. You've got Wiggins and Oubre as well. Wiggins seems to be playing a little bit better last night, played pretty well, you know, had some nice moments attacking downhill and, and doing some things. And then Oubre still hasn't really gotten there. He was a decent shooter, uh, you know, last year in Phoenix and was an all right shooter before in Washington. But this year is, mm-hmm. you know, 14% or whatever. So there yeah. are question marks that are On five marks attempts that have sort of proven track records. Right, exactly. And then, and then, of course, on top of all, you've also got James Wiseman. And Wiseman, this really enigmatic sort of character that a lot of draft people were down on because, you know, it's it's very natural not to like the equity you get out of the big position right now, particularly bigs that aren't really spacers. And um, what, little, what little we saw from Wiseman at Memphis and, and you know, the high school stuff, there wasn't a ton of spacing with Wiseman. And then all of a sudden we see him play for Golden State and you think, boy, this guy's big. Ooh, he's he's hyper athletic. He can do all kinds of things. I'm like, oh, he can shoot a little bit too. And and every night is an is a little another little unpacking of James Wiseman. And you know, you, you just start to see that man, Golden State may have been able to reload with a talented player. Who knows what his ceiling is, but for as young as he is that hyper athleticism, that really high motor to play the game, uh, you know, it, they may have really gotten to that. And I think when you like put all those pieces together, what you have is a really interesting team. Um, I don't know if they're going to be good. I don't know if they'll make the second round of the playoffs. I don't know. They may be in the playing game, but all I know is that's kind of the, the ingredients to the soup that I, that I have really enjoyed this season is I don't know what I'm watching and I can't stop watching. 
You know what? I, I think that's a perfect way of describing it. This team was interesting to me for a few reasons. One, I really was intrigued by the fit of Wiseman. Like you said, he's a an interesting character in terms of set, what he brings to the table, whatever concerns they had, just not having enough film and kind of analyzing analyzing four games, basically, you know, and that would um, compute in, on, in, on the NBA stage. And so to see him play as well as he has, um, I love his jump shot. It, it's it's kind of slow in terms of release, but it's a nice little so safety ball that, yeah, and you, and you yeah. haven't seen that element from Warrior Bigs in how long? I mean, David West didn't really shoot that elbow jumper by the time he got to Golden State. Um, right. Draymond wasn't doing that. Zaza wasn't doing that. Uh, you you know that uh, McGee wasn't doing that. So you didn't really have that element. And someone who offensively, you can kind of even run run through as far as, you know, having plays or even doing um, high pick and roll with Steph Curry. At the same time, I thought it was intriguing that for a team like Golden State that you usually look at and you have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson in the past, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, all these guys, they're really light on that firepower. You were relying on two guys who have middling success um, in high-volume roles at all, in, in Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. And then, like you said, Oubre right. shooting 14%. And on no small amount, I mean, he's shooting five attempts a night from out there. Um, he's six for 42 on the season. Oh, yeah, Andrew fine. Wiggins is short up. Yeah. yeah, he is. And Andrew Wiggins is slightly better at 15 to 37, but... This isn't great, and and you look down, you look at the startling lack of support. I mean, after, let's just say Philly from three-point range, after Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, you're looking at Damian Lee with 14, then uh, Michael Mulder, who's been a nice surprise for them with 10, uh, going back to your early point of guys stepping up and and being, you know, surprises there. But after that, it's not a whole lot, and you don't have a lot of off-the-ball creation. Um, You're relying on a system that has helped the Warriors so much in the past, but with players who don't really fit that system. Yeah, and, and to, to go back to Michael Mulder, Michael Mulder has been, he was one of the really, really interesting guys that I have sort of latched onto as, as a fun part of this team. And he's, he's playing a lot, you know, a lot more minutes than I thought he would. He's some garbage time stuff, but you'll see him in there just now and again. And that's, um, that's kind of the t- testament to what this season is, is like, you you know, all of a sudden we've got Juan Toscano Anderson and Michael Mulder playing big minutes, but Mulder's a bomber. Uh, he was G League, I mean, just a G League sniper last year. Um, and, and it's really fun. I love these G League guys kind of jump up and get their opportunities. And, and I, I think he found this, the team that was right for him. Uh, he's going to be able to hit some shots. He's going to be able to get some shots. Uh, and he's I expect him to learn as the year goes on because he doesn't really defend at an NBA level. He's just, you know, he's so-so. But his ability to move a shooter um, is something that is, is one of the most underrated talents in the league. And, you know, I, I, your buddy and mine, Josh Earl, Josh loves mm-hmm. nothing more than, than, than somebody who can hit a movement three. And, and this is just <laughs> kind of one of those guys that he, he always puts in my head is this is a, this is a skill. This is a, an untapped potential. And, you know, when you, we're, you know, probably end up talking about this team cause they are incredibly interesting, but like a guy like Duncan Robbins, this is an example, plays division three basketball, uh, all of a sudden plays into tremendous role on this team that comes out of nowhere, this Miami Heat team who comes out of nowhere, who surprises the, the Milwaukee Bucks, who makes it to the NBA Finals and even manages to take a game off the Lakers. And you've got Duncan Robinson, who is playing tremendous minutes, 
who is hitting big shots, who is, you know, in the rotation. And it's all because he can hit shots off movement. And that's a really cool kind of thing that, that is a little bit underrated in terms of when you try to find these guys, when you're look, looking in the draft, that's, that's always a really neat thing. I don't know if Michael Mulder is going to be that guy. I mean, you know, he, probably not because that's a very rare diamond in the rough to find, but he does have an interesting skill set and, and a little bit of a, a market inefficiency. So I think that, you know, if Ubre can't really find it, if, if, you know, so one guy here, there goes down, but, he manages to play some minutes with Curry and Draymond. I think that he'll uh, he'll find some spots. They've got a couple of things going on that – remember a few years ago, I mean, you had so many good wings on this team. You had Sean Livingston. You had Andre Godala, Kevin Durant, of course, Clay Thompson. Yeah. It does feel like there's a little bit of a deficiency of wings, even, even with Wiggins and Oubre, who – you know, probably scale more towards the offensive end. I mean, Ubre's had his flashes as a defense player, but it does feel like they don't have that guy anymore when it felt like, you know, a while back they had, uh, you know, one or two of those guys, obviously Iggy being the big one, who could just go out and lock down on defense. They've got good bigs. They've got Pascal and, and Green, of course, but like their, their wing deficiency is a little bit frightening when you Think to yourself, you know, in the first round of the playoffs, we may have to play LeBron, we may have to play Kawhi. So that's one of the things that I think about this team that is compelling and, and sort of worth watching. This ownership group wants to compete, Corbin. I mean, they they do. They've proven that over and over. They're not afraid of the tax bill. They've got this huge disabled no. player exception, $9 million. So it's like, what are they going to do to sort of show, shore up the one very glaring weakness? And that's, that's going to be you know, that's going to be something that follows them through the whole year, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I have them, they're so weird, because before Steph Curry, you know, did his explosion um, in Portland and kind of got a little more assertive on that offensive end, I had them kind of on the outside looking in on the playoffs. And I looked around, and I'm kind of reevaluating and seeing teams kind of, you know, try to find their way, Portland, Dallas, things of that nature. And I'm like, this team could be in the playing race, you know, depending on how things work out, even with this glowing weakness. But I think a lot of it will come down to, I mean, got to look at Steph Curry. He took 33 this spring, and he already has. You mentioned the, the good teams, the Clippers already can throw a lot of attention on them. And this is where lack of physical stuff should be able to hold up so well against this might against him because he has to expend so much energy to create any semblance of consistent yeah. offense for this team, especially yeah. nights when Oubre and Wiggins don't have it going, and that's been more often than not. Yeah, that's, you know, it, it, it's just going to be, everybody talked before the year, like, oh, this is the legacy-defining year for Curry, and I don't believe any of that mess, because Curry's legacy is what it is, and, and this, yep. to me, neither adds nor detracts from it but the the point of that was always well you know how's Steph Curry gonna fare as the central focus of an offense or the central focus of, of an opposing defense without a Clay Thompson without a Kevin Durant and I think it has been quite as advertised there's going to be nights where he's a human flamethrower and you can't guard him with all five players on the on the opposing defense and then there are going to be nights like there was against the Clippers where he's going to struggle he's not going to be able to find his rhythm because like you said there's 
not really that second guy. I mean, you can you can sort of do second guy by committee, and, and mm-hmm. you know you can say, well, Wiggins Wiggins can score, or Weissman is going to step up, or Draymond even is going to have nights where he's going to have 18. Um, but to have so much emphasis on Steph Curry is is really I don't want to say no, it's not legacy, it's not any of that stuff, but it but it is. A position he hasn't been in in a long time, and, and that part is at least worth watching for because you're going to get the 62 point nights, but you're also going to get the 11 point nights. And uh, Curry is one of my favorite players, uh, just so smart, finds these avenues to create baskets for himself, for teammates, has such a wonderful handle. I mean, he he Kings game the other night. I mean, he just floored Corey Joseph just. Left to right, crossover, dribble, step back, bang, hits a three. And wow. you, you see these little these little masterful moments in Curry. And, and so he he's in a tough spot. He's 6'3". I mean, we know he, coming into the league, is he point guard, is he shooting guard? Uh, and it turned out that no one really matters when you <laughs> shoot from 30 feet. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, that question, that sort of – dogged him in his early years or in his Davidson years was, well, how well can he adjust to an NBA game? And then, and then you take that question and you go, of course, that's silly, but then you tweak it as you go through the years and it's, well, how well does he hold up over the course of a season when he's the central focus? How well does he handle the beating, the physical toll it takes to be a number one? You know, you've got a guy like James Harden who's built like a tank. You know, Harden is, is he's just a running back, uh, you know, 220, uh, he's probably carrying a little extra weight from his from his extracurriculars, but he's <laughs> built to take this punishment. And then you see Curry, who just doesn't have the excess. He doesn't have that extra layer of muscle or of, of, of whatever to take that punishment. And all of a sudden, he's shooting seven and a half free throws a game. And that's wear and tear, you know, that's going to add up with the addition of the season being a little bit shorter. And that's that's going to be the the interesting angle with him is is how well does he hold up into April, May, and June? Because this is a different style than he's used to. This is 20% more shots. This is 20% more dribbles. This is 20% more everything. And night after night, that starts to take its toll. True. And, and also, I mean, you probably aren't going to be able to get a lot of rest out. Like, it's going to be needed, you know, just to continue to consistently bring Every it. Every night. Curry's, yeah, exactly. Are you going to turn the majority of your offense through, to Brad Wanamaker and play? I mean, obviously, I'm being uh, facetious there. <laughs> it'll more than likely be Draymond. <laughs> it'll more than likely be Draymond Green as like the offensive connector. And then you're looking even more on Wiggins and Ubre to manufacture points. And that's that's not really their thing. They can do it in Wiggins a lot more than Ubre in terms of like player archetype. But I, I mean, it's just not. I, I don't know. They're a team that, you're right, over time, chip away. It's like water on a uh, for Curry. And for Curry, it's already not yeah. a very big one. It's someone that's mad productive, but that's a lot of hits. A lot. We saw what happened when breaking his hand, and that was just a freak thing. You know, a big man taking a charge underneath him. It's, it's, it's a concern for sure. The intriguing team, because I'm at the best they're playing a team at their worst. They sink to the bottom, and it's another lost year of Curry's prime post-prime. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. going to co-opt your show. Okay, hey, that's, cool. that's I'm, why you're I'm just here. coming in, seizing yeah. the reins, uh, and I'm going to turn it back on you. And I'm, okay. I'm going to say, Corbin, 
who is who is interesting to you right now? Who 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 are you? Who do you find yourself flicking through the channels and settling in on these games more often than you thought you would? Okay, so it's two teams. Um, one is is Washington. I think that's for obvious reason. I'm I'm just kidding. I got it. Once I get past the irrational. <laughs> It comes back to bite me because sometimes he's on some compelling teams. But because I make the Westbrook fandom known, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, Corbin, we get it. But Washington is an interesting team to me for a couple of reasons. Um, and I guess the other team that I would bring up is Sacramento. Um, but I, we could we could start with Washington. Um, for me, right. yeah, right. for me, Washington's weird because you have a guy in Bradley, right? You're, you you have that unspoken pressure. You have a contract for two more years, but you know, he can obviously bounce, and the, he wants to be in Washington, but does he want to be losing in Washington? There you go, right? So you make the move for Russell Westbrook. This is the second time that Russell's been on the move um, to appease a shooting guard in a tenuous situation with the franchise, right? But in this case, it's like, all right, the fit with Russ and, and Bradley is okay. They're not doing too bad, but Bradley Beal's putting up these just huge scoring nights and carrying a huge load this offense with Westbrook shooting efficiency being down, even though, you know, he's still getting triple-doubles and such. And I think it really goes down to the guys you have around them. Um, Davis Bertans has been trying his way back into shape, um, and that's been he's been pretty candid about that. We've seen that. Rui Hachimura, he had a very strong opening game, and then he's just kind of been um, kind of out of it. Um, Thomas Bryant's been good, but he's overmatched at the center position, specifically on the defensive end. And really, that's the Washington defense. They're just overmatched, it feels like. And I think that their defense is so bad that it undoes any any positive impact they make on the offensive end. I mean, just take their most recent game, for example. You know, Bradley Beal scores 60 points. Russell Westbrook actually has a decent night, uh, at least from three for him. And they still lose 141 to 136. Because, among other things, they had nobody to stop Joel Embiid, and there was too many defensive breakdowns down the stretch. Yeah, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to let you off the hook on this one and say it's not just Russell Westbrook fandom. This Thank team is, is okay. very, very interesting. Yeah, I, I find myself more often than not just kind of flicking through to see what the rotation is going to be. And and the guy to me that is so interesting in his team, of course, Hachimura's missed some time, so he it'll take him a little bit of you know a little bit of adjustment to find his spot and how he fits in with two ball dominant players at the same time. But to me, the guy who's been really interesting because his play style meshes with what the greater idea of what Scotty Brooks wants to do or what the Washington Wizards with Beal and Westbrook want to do is Thomas Bryant. And you're exactly yeah. right. Defensively, he's overmatched at the position. Um, he has turned the ball over, it feels like, too often for his, his, uh, for his usage rate. He's always in foul trouble. But, and I'm going to put the big butt on this, when he is right, when he does things, when he plays above the rim, when he gives you those offensive rebounds, that extra energy that becomes so important in winning these, you know, these moments within games, winning possessions or winning series of minutes, he has been really impactful. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is his play style, his ability to space above the rim, his uh, you know, seemingly otherworldly shooting. He's shooting 45% right now from three, and it feels good. You know, the mechanics are good. He looks good as a shooter. Now, he's not going to shoot 45%, but if he shoots 38% on three attempts a game, that's a big deal for a kid who's 23 years old who teams said 
kind of been out on. You know, I mean, he was the Laker, uh, and, and it felt like he was never really going to get where he wanted to be. In that first season, he didn't get a ton of playing time. Then he comes to Washington, and he's a piece. He's a 20-minute-a-game guy. And all of a sudden this year, he's thrust into that role, playing a much larger role. And I don't know. He's, he's not going to be a defensive presence. He's not going to be a guy who who's going to gonna make a huge difference on that end. Um, but he can play passively. He can do some things. Um, he can he can put bodies here. I mean, he, he'll block a shot every now and again on rotation, or he'll get a strip on a, on a, you know, a pass or something like that. So there's workable defense in there. But his offensive upside, his ability to be a screener, uh, to, to hit those big screens and then create space for dribblers, uh, and then use his verticality to to continue to open up this offense, which has just been throwing fire. I mean, I think they're yeah. you know, second or third ranked offense in the league. You know, they're top five at least a couple of days ago. But his ability is actually a part of that. And, and you know, obviously Beal has been otherworldly and. Westbrook is always a, a threat to get his 25 or 30 in any given night. But to me, the guy that has made this team so compelling, it just it just has to be Thomas Bryant right now. Yeah, he is. I, his offensive skill set particular is something I definitely enjoy. Um, defensive, I mean, like you said, there's some there. I think I I don't know if okay. Here's my question: Do you, do you see him as as his starting center? I kind of he's overmatched as a star. I feel like he's a high minute backup. To, uh, five. What? I don't know. It, it could go either way. I mean, it just depends on what you want out of the five position. If he can space, I have no problem with him playing a starting role. If he can continue to shoot, I'm not asking for 45%. But if he can shoot well, I really don't have any problem with it, particularly in this lineup when you play with you probably some combination of like Bertans, Hachimura, Westbrook, Beal, or Abdija and, and and take out Hachimura or these guys who, who can really do a lot with the space he creates in that particular role. I really like him. I really like his ability. Uh, Washington probably shouldn't overly concern themselves about Thomas Bryant being overmatched in the playoffs. That doesn't seem like, I mean, they'll pr- probably make the play in, um, but I don't see them, you know, being a real deep threat unless Beal goes on a 57 point, uh, tear uh, for three games in a row. So I wouldn't get overly attached to the idea that you need Thomas Bryant to defend in a playoff atmosphere and do this so we can compete this year. I think more importantly, if you can sort of set those fundamentals and bring down the foul rate, uh, he's, he just hacks, man. He, and he gets bad fouls and he gets in his own yeah. head about it. Uh, if, if he can start to, to fix these things around the edges, I mean, he is a young guy. He's 23 years old and, He's 23 with with years of basketball. I mean, this is his fourth year in the league. But, but like, it just feels like he's still so raw. And he has grown and he has done a lot of things. And he's really come into his own to be a pretty darn good NBA player. And and I think uh, – I don't, I don't know where he goes to answer your question. I mean, in a very roundabout way. I don't know what becomes of him, like, as a player. But yeah. to me, this is the exact – kind of experiment if you're the washington wizards you want to put the resources in and hope this pays off in a way that you have a guy who's going to be part of your rotation for a very long time yeah no you said it and 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 to go back on your earlier 
um, point uh, about the offense. This offense is deadly. I think if I had any myths to pick on it, it would be how the minutes of Westbrook are strong when they're not alongside Bradley. The floor shrinks tremendously when you put yeah. two relative non with um, Westbrook and Ish Smith off the bench, you know? And all the gravity in the world Dallas Bertans provides doesn't do enough for both of those guys, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and they don't, you know, Ish Smith. You mentioned Ish Smith, and you you see a little bit of the the, the play making duties fall to Troy Brown from time to time as they go into rotation. But they don't really have another guy in those be in those Beal-less minutes. And I really am going to take it in just a second and, and see what Beal's on off this mm-hmm. because that is interesting point i don't have it pulled up right here in front of me but they don't really have that next guy now they have a lot of kind of connective tissue that you can piece together and find a secondary creator out of what aphesia does or out of what troy brown does um even what you get from ish smith who who i think is a competent backup player but they don't really have a second guy who can really create advantage situations for other players And, and that's tough i mean I think if you took a census, you could probably find 16 to 20 teams who don't have that guy. Well, when you take their best player off the floor, they're short a guy. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. not exactly breaking <laughs> news. But that is an area where they could look to improve if they can make a move in the offseason. Or just, just you know, maybe it is Aftija. Maybe, maybe he gets some more minutes. When he played in Israel, he really could pass. He was a guy who could do a little bit of everything. So maybe he gets thrust a little more into the playmaking scenario. The problem is, you know, and I, I don't, I feel like this may be the end of the show. Like you may just cut me off here. Uh, but, <laughs> but the problem is, is that you don't in, in Beal less minutes, Russell Westbrook has a tremendous, very clearly has a tremendous amount of respect for Bradley Beal as a player. He is very okay to help Bradley uh, create or, or do what is necessary to help Bradley get open or, but when in those non Brad Beal minutes, you see that, you see that 2017 Russell Westbrook kind of peek through that taking a bad shot late in the shot clock after taking two extra dribbles instead of moving the ball. That guy is a little bit there and that's a little bit of a problem for them to develop these other guys or kind of thrust them into roles that make them a little uncomfortable while they're young to hope that they grow into something more. And again, that goes back to why Thomas Bryant has been successful because he plays perfectly beside a Russell Westbrook. But then when you've got these guys who you really would like to see, I mean, you know, I guess Raul Neto hasn't been terrible, but he's, he's, he's a little bit more like a catch and shoot guy than, exactly. than like a creation guy. He's not going to, he's not going to give you a ton um, but he's like kind of a catch and shoot point guard. But there's not a lot of opportunity, is what I'm getting at. When when they're, when Brad Beal's not in the game. Yeah, and that's the problem. It's a lot. We talked about a lot of pressure on Steph Curry so far this season. What are we saying about Bradley Beal? The offense yep. just dies. You have someone oh, yeah. competent at the helm in Westbrook, and I, I'm gonna forgive what you said about no point. Um, but aside <laughs> from that, like, <laughs> like you're right. Like there's some definite issues, you know there. And regardless of that fact, you have to go and, and wonder how long can he sustain this? And even more, how much will he want to? You know, let's say it's out through the rest of this year. You know, will he demand it? Will he want to go up the three down? Will he not? Will this kind of show up a little bit? Um, defensively, I mean, like you said, it's an issue that no matter how deadly their offense is, they're always kind of playing from behind even more so when 
you don't have um, Beal the floor, and you know it's been it's been really rough to manufacture offense. Yeah, they they they're going to have a tough time. They're going to continue to have a tough time finding lineups that work. Their pieces don't quite fit together super well. It feels like they've got three or four young guys who really do play the four. Um, a little bit less than they play the three. Um, even if you go down to you know guys like Isak Bonga or, or something like that, like he hasn't played a ton, but it feels like they've got these guys who are kind of slash forwards, but not really. So it is a little bit tough to look at this team and, and you know have any real fear struck in your heart, with the exception of what Brad Beal can do. And that's, like you said, kind of goes back to how we feel about the Warriors is you always have to respect a guy of that caliber. And in, in a playoff series, teams with the best player win. And I don't know, you know, you're probably not going to beat a Philadelphia or a, a Milwaukee, but if they got in the right series, having the best player in a Bradley Beal can make a big difference. And they've got to sort some things out through the season. I think that there are some real challenges for what they want to do, uh, not the least of which is figuring out how do you make Westbrook both happy with his situation so he plays basketball the right way, but also uh, have him play the correct way and get these other people involved in a meaningful way. So that that's going to be just the issue that dogs them through the season. But add to your point, that is what makes them so compelling to watch on a nightly basis. That's true. That's true. And 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 speaking, it is going to be a, a smoothest transition I can make it. But we're talking about interesting teams to watch that have mismatched pieces. Uh, I present to you the 2020-2021 New Orleans Pelicans. Um, we both talked about this team. You mentioned okay. them, them being someone to kind of dive into. What do you think about them? They're four and four, which crazy enough, like you mentioned, in this NBA is uh, good for fourth in the Western Conference right now. Um, they're 22nd in offensive rating. Of they're fourth. Huh? Uh, uh, of course, of course. Oh yeah, four, four, four and four. <laughs> exactly. Second four, in the Western four, Conference. That's what we all predict, right? Exactly. Yeah. They're twenty-second offense and fourth in defensive rating. Um, eleventh overall in net rating. And you with the line, I mean, on its head, doesn't make the most sense to me with Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball in the backcourt, alongside you know Brandon Ingram at small forward, Zion Williamson, and Stephen Adams, like. Where is the spacing? And, I mean, somehow they've made it work at, at least enough. Um, the team right now, they're shooting 31% collectively from three. Um, a lot of that, you're putting on the shoulders of uh, one uh, Brandon Ingram, who has 17 of those, and Lonzo Ball has 19, Eric Bledsoe. Uh, even though, I mean, he's typically in the low 30s for three, he's shooting 38 right now. Um, but what do you think about this team? It's so... It's so weird. I'm not sure I like who's coming off the bench, with the exception of J.J. Redick, who's kind of been up and down. Uh, Redick, for example, is shooting 24% from three. Your best three-point shooter objectively on this team is shooting one of the worst percentages of anyone who's taken, you know, more than three a game. And it's like, wow, wh- what do we make of This team's really interesting because you, you have to kind of start to parse all the parts of this team because – I went through it and I was looking at this team doing research, getting ready, and then it was like, boy, they give up a ton of three-pointers. They're number one, or at least this was accurate up to this morning as I was doing my, my kind of final research. They were the, giving up the most three-pointers from the left corner, the second most three-pointers from the right corner, and the 
first most from above the break. So they're giving up, I think, you know, just a metric shitload of threes, pardon my French. Uh, but uh, they, <laughs> they give up a ton, a ton of three-pointers uh, to a point where teams aren't shooting very well. I think teams are shooting maybe 33% or something thereabouts against them. So if those shots start to fall, it gets concerning. However, and this is a this is a large, you know, this is a large but teams can still be good defensively and give up a lot of three-pointers. If you go back a season ago, you had two elite defensive teams in the Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors who gave up a ton of three-pointers. And how they did it was they sold out to defend other areas like the paint that were, could hurt them. You know, you so there are methods to success that don't necessarily equate to running people off the three-point line. And okay. that is something that you have to keep in mind with this team is, is you can play good defense and, def- and, and still give up a lot of threes, but you have to defend the paint. And that has been the area where they've been tremendously successful. Teams, teams are shooting, I think, 72% inside the restricted area, which is bad. I think it, it's you know very low, low, lower quarter of the league. However, they're giving up the least amount of attempts in the restricted area. So when teams are getting in, yeah, they're getting baskets, but they're playing good preventative defense to keep players from getting in a restricted area. Uh, they're also giving up, I think teams are shooting 33%. In the, in the paint, but non-restricted areas. So they have found a formula where they can protect the rim. Uh, they've got some guys who are big, who are burly, who are bruising. And then they've got some guys who really do defend the positions well. I mean, Lonzo Ball is a tremendous, intelligent defender who's lengthy, who leverages his length really well. Eric Bledsoe is strong as an ox for his size. He makes things difficult. He Low center gravity. Then you've got Zion, and we know what he can do. Um, as an athlete, we haven't really seen the Zion from Duke, particularly on the defensive side, in terms of impact, being able to block shots, that kind of thing. Still kind of transitioning into that. You still see the intelligence as a guy who could jump passing lanes or create tips or do kind of the chaotic things that you saw. We really haven't seen the, the rim presence that we thought we would. But you have all these these nice pieces that play defense, and, and you have to think to yourself, okay, well, if three start to fall, that's probably bad. But at the same time, if you flip over, the interesting part about this team, Corbin, to me, is that they don't foul. This is a Stan Van Gundy, yeah. you know, sort yeah. of mentality instilled yeah. in them. Lowest foul rate in the league. They don't give away free baskets. You know what I mean? No, you got to earn it. You, and that's true. And you, and I, like you said, Stan Van Gundy effect of the immediate impact on the defense, even with um, Detroit, you know, for all his faults as executive, we saw the coaching very simple. I mean, it was... You're going to work for everything you get on that end, um, and the and the amount of easy baskets to be a fouls or just lack of effort isn't is going to be kept to a minimum. Yeah, and 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 then on top of that, there's one other really interesting wrinkle that I, I want to touch on is that mm-hmm. I don't know it's it's possible this may not you know be a hundred percent accurate. I went through the numbers and I was just kind of exploring this, looking at it. They have the number three and number four offensive rebounders in the league in Zion Williamson and Steven Adams. Uh, they also give up about the fifth fewest transition attempts. Um, and to me, that's not really coincidental because of the amount of effort that is required to 
keep Stephen Adams and Zion off the the, the boards. Uh, yeah. So I think there's a little bit of the best defense is a good offense. If you're not giving up those high usage, I mean, high efficiency transition attempts because teams have to be be mindful of of a big body like a Stephen Adams who can just really just make havoc with his effort or of, and of course we know what Zion is capable of when he gets the yeah. ball off a tip or because his second jump is so quick he can put points back on the board there I believe number two in the league uh, in points uh, in second chance points um, they're number one in offense rebounding by uh, almost a full percentage point over Utah and that has kind of parlayed itself into good transition defense, not because they're defending transition well, because that's very difficult, but because they're limiting the number of transition opportunities that other teams have. So that's kind of an interesting wrinkle with this team because it is unconventional. You don't really see that approach. Offensive rebounds are kind of a passe metric when you think about winning NBA games. That's not something people are going to zero in on, but they have a unique collection of talent with those two guys that it has actually paid off in a way that I don't necessarily know. I mean, there's a ton of smart people in that organization, uh, (laughs) but I'm not sure that anybody saw it happen this way. You know, this is this is a very unconventional way. And of course, Griff did all he could to get Steve Adams also to extend him to help protect Zion. But this is a really fun wrinkle with this team is can they continue to, be so dominant in the offensive glass that they can keep teams from being able to run as often as they'd like. And I guess that's one of the questions there. I mean, because you're right. And you, you broke down the methodology, the methodology of having, I butchered that word, um, of having Adams there in that back line, <laughs> but also the, the battle of the boards um, and, and how well the, the Pelicans are in kind of enforcing their will down there. I guess another question I have uh, about them Aside from, you know, obviously we just talked about the, the offensive clunkiness is Brandon Ingram. In my mind, and I almost hate to bring this up because I said this on Twitter, I kind of right, railed against it while also arguing for it. I think it's way too early to have an MVP kind of conversation. And in that same kind of tweet, I also endorsed Brandon Ingram for an early MVP candidate. Um, But like in the sense that he's playing well, he's, being a, he's not only improved in terms of, of course, style line, but just his can see um in basically taking this this pelicans offense at the helm you know and just kind of leading it from that way he's averaging 24 points on an effective field goal percentage of 52 um getting to the line a bunch 84 percent from there knock he's a high clip just under six attempts tonight at 37 percent like the dudes improved his playmaking um i just am really excited by his improvement I'm also wondering how much of a load this guy has to bear on the offensive end it's really him and zion the only guys who are even sniffing 20 points a night um brandon ingram at 24 zion at 21 after that you're looking at lonzo at 13 and then eric bledsoe at 12 and steve adams at 10 that's a lot of offense responsibility on two guys yeah ingram's been a really interesting case study he was a guy who if you go back a couple of years with with los angeles we didn't really quite we the collectively the nba fan didn't really quite understand who he was um, and then there was a period this is the pre-lebron years in in uh, in los angeles of course when they were bad uh, there was a few there was a little bit of a period where lonzo got injured and we saw more brandon ingram in that lead playmaker role kind of handling the ball a lot more distributing and to me that's kind of a watershed moment for ingram um, mm-hmm. he's he's not everybody's cup of tea and, and there's still some some you know 
areas where you'd really like to see him smooth himself over. But his ability to create for other players makes him really special, particularly when coupled with his length. Uh, he's got he's got a really nice off the dribble game. He's six ten. He's got a very smooth handle. He just does a lot of really exciting things. But to me, the thing that really opens it up is that massive improvement as a playmaker. He helps elevate the rest of his team, and it's it's interesting because. You know, you didn't really see that guy do. I mean, you know, for the one year, you didn't really see that guy early on. He was kind of a guy who got his buckets and did this, and you know, it was a good shooter who, or a guy who could get where he wanted to and, and get a finger roll off the rim or whatever. But now you see his ability to create baskets for others, and in this system, you really do have some high IQ guys. Lonzo's is one of my favorite players to watch his, his inventiveness and his ability to find cutters. And particularly he's, a, he's a virtuoso in, in transition, all these kinds of things about Lonzo are really fun to watch. And then Zion, incredibly underrated, brilliant cutter guy who just knows exactly how to use his gravity and, and leverage his body strength and all these things to get where he wants to be and to just make things difficult. And when you start to couple that IQ with what Ingram is bringing to the table and Ingram's growth as a playmaker, you've got a you've got a nice little group here of younger guys who are gonna. That brings it to the really interesting question that you said is like, well, who's next? You got Nikhil Alexander Walker, who's played a little bit more this season. He's in year two, seeming to find himself a little bit better. But question that sort of bothered him at Virginia Tech is. Can he shoot? What can he do? Um, can, can he can he continue to play at a level without the ball um, that is you know productive on the offense? Well, you've also got Kira Lewis, who was a sort of an NBA draft favorite um, going out of Alabama last year because of his speed, his ability to get where he wants to on the floor. Um, and then, of course, you have J.J. Redick, who's aging and, and has not shot tremendously well. You've got Josh Hart. Um, but – you you need this uh, another guy in that same age bracket with Brandon Ingram, with Zion Williams, with Lonzo, who's going to step up and be able to find his spot on the floor. And I, I don't know if Jackson Hayes, who's sort of you know borne the uh, the brunt of the Stephen Adams trade, and not yeah. been able to really find himself on the season, but there there are nice young pieces. The, they probably got a few more pieces coming their way. I mean, I don't think everybody kind of made a really big deal about Milwaukee trading two firsts for um, for Drew Holiday. I, I don't really think that that's going to be – I don't think they're trading away franchise players there, so I don't think the Pelicans are going to add franchise players. But they they do need to, to find some more talented pieces to help elevate this entire group because they got a really nice young core, um, and, I re- and I have been you know sort of excited about what they can do and – uh, and, and maybe what their capabilities are. But at the same time, you know, it, if they can finish eighth, ninth, tenth in the playoffs, get into the playoffs, I mean, get into the playing tournament, maybe win a game, get into the actual playoffs. That experience is going to be huge. But they've still got a long way to go before they're a team that is threatening or knocking at the door, being dangerous. But they're also young. They're also very uh, very uh, malleable and can grow up very quickly so is that season is that growth going to take a season is it going to take two, two seasons that's yeah. what uh, this team has to sort of contend with over the next year 
And, and like you said, they are a team that's still young. I mean, even the older guys, uh, Eric Bledsoe was 30. Steven Adams is, what, 28? No, Steven Adams is 27, going to be 28. Um, But the younger he's guys, like, especially... He feels like he's a 100-year-old, 28-year-old. He feels oh, like oh he's 128, yeah. He does, he's been in the league right. since he's like 14. Yeah, I mean, literally, he was the, the OKC dynasty that that was. You know, he was the the pick that was um brought back from that James Harden trade. It's been a while. You're right. Um, it's crazy to think about. But in terms of him, even there being just 28 and kind of signed for years to come, your two cornerstones are 23 and 20 and 20. And, and Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. So you definitely have a bright future ahead. That if it isn't realized this year the world you have a good coach in Stan Van Gundy who is already instilling the right habits we already see the positive way that they're immediately playing and so you know just hoping for that to continue um but I'm gonna toss it to you we've been going over an hour here now uh what are the, do you want to touch <laughs> on another team here we I mean let's, I knew this was gonna go along go with more. us and this was my plan to, to put a big team a big list of stuff to talk about and then be like oh man I gotta bring you back that's uh, <laughs> their <laughs> well, plan <laughs> I, I accept. Uh, you, you know, I'm always down to podcast with you because it means we get to talk groups, so that's important. Yes, but sir, you really I put me on the spot. Uh, okay. I have, to, I have to pick one more team for us to talk about, and I've got three on my list. I'm just <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out there and I'm gonna say that we have to talk about this team because they we were excited about them in the bubble. We really were impressed with what they did. And then they added a, a Hall of Famer, a first ballot Hall of Famer in Chris Paul. And we got to talk about the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they they are 6-2. and two. They are, you know, top five in the league in net rating. They are clutch as all get out, as every Chris Paul team is. And this team is really, really scary. All of a sudden, I don't know how long it's going to hold up. I don't know if they've got the horses to go into it. But when you've got a guy like DeAndre Ayton, who has improved in leaps and bounds uh, as a defensive center since he got in the league where he was almost lost all the time, to now he's passable and sometimes even better than passable. They drafted Mikael Bridges, who has rapidly turned into a guy who you can easily foresee a, a, a 17, 15-year NBA career because of his ability to defend both four positions and shoot. And then, of course, you've got Devin Booker, who is probably the most uh, polarizing player uh, you know, with the exception of maybe Trey Young or Donovan Mitchell or whoever, Booker's got to be one of the most polarizing players because people either love him or hate him. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you, you put all these things in the mix, and and the team that the team that I watch, the team that I have watched as they have played over the past couple of nights with a with a big win over Toronto last night, they um there's fun, there's downright fun. They're they're a lot more a lot more dangerous than I thought they would be. And, and, you know, Hey, when you're flipping through the channels, that's what you look for. You're like, Oh, this is compelling. Okay. Uh, so we got to talk about the Phoenix Suns, Corbin. Hey, I mean, you gave a hell of an intro, so let's get to it. I mean, the Suns right now are the, like one of the, they're a team that sits in the top 10 in both offensive and defensive rating. Uh, they are fifth in offensive rating. They're 10th in defensive rating, fifth in net, in net rating. Uh, they said first in opponent points per game. Uh, th- this team, it, it's it's crazy to look at them and go, okay, it, it's it's balance. You know, obviously you're looking at uh, Devin Booker and Chris Paul. When you look at these numbers, right now you have over seven players in double digits. 
that are averaging that over these eight games so far for the Suns. And if you look down the list, it's Devin Booker, Mikel Bridges, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ian, Jay Crowder, Cameron Payne, and then um, Dario Saric. And, and I'm, I'm, there's seven players, 21 points, 14, 13, 13, 11, 13, and 11 off the bench um, for Dario and Cameron Payne. But these guys are moving the ball around, you know, all averaging at least an assist per game um, from everyone in the starting five. Um, obviously, Devin Booker playing the way he in, in efficiency, getting a lot more of a load um, ease with the addition of Chris Paul, who in on its 13 points and eight assists is kind of lacking for him, 33% from, but at the same time, you can see having uh, uh, almost a continuation of what you did when you acquired Ricky the season before. It's someone who is an adult in the room from the point guard position. You don't have all that pressure on Devin Booker. And as such, he's able to flourish uh, uh, more as a tertiary creator and you have someone in Chris Paul who can take advantages on the on the weak side. Um, even more, it feels like maybe a lesser version. Well, it doesn't feel like it is a lesser version of Paul um, than that 2017 um, James Harden, Devin Booker, your turn, my turn. But it feels like there's more continuity here. And you have someone who can take full advantage in Chris Paul, who even at 35 is effective. Yeah, and there's also a little bit of a, an interesting give and take with this team because they – have been so efficient offensively, and that's the Chris Paul effect. Of course, they have Booker, tremendous score, but they do a ton, a ton of damage as a jump shooting team. They're they're number three in the league in percentage of points from mid range. I think they're number six in the league from three point land, and they're 29th in free throw attempts. So you you know you put all that together, you kind of have a picture of this is a team that. I'm not anti-mid-range because I am a firm believer in you take the easy baskets where they come. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the, there's not a super great argument for efficiency in the mid-range, particularly when it's contested. So it's not something you want to do. But they have feasted on getting easy baskets and, and just taking what the defense gives them. Now, will that, will that continue? Will they be a team in the future that, you know, what are they going to do when the chips are down in a playoffs when it's harder to get? these these uh these looks when it's harder to manufacture offense what becomes of a team that doesn't get the free throw line is something that they're going to have to to battle with through the year and figure out how do they manufacture points and that is in no small part due to deandre ayton is a little bit contact shy um he, he you see a lot more of his size uh, he yeah. doesn't really overly dominate with his size he's a little bit of a fadeaway guy um they have to find a way to manufacture points, and I'm not sure that that's something they're going to excel in. But I, I'm going to say when they're in the playoffs. This is a playoff team as I watch mm-hmm. them. This is a team that is is dangerous. They are capable. They are smart. They take advantage of what defenses give them. And, and that is the formula for a team that is going to play in the playoffs. And it, it was a sexy pick. It was what everybody wanted, particularly the 8 no in the bubble, all that stuff. Uh, but watching this team <laughs> – I've reconciled with that point of view. Is oh nope, that's that's right. This is a playoff team. This is a team that's growing rapidly. And when you've got guys and they've drafted well in the middle of the first round, they found Cam Johnson, they found Mikel Bridges. Then of course you add an, a guy like Jay Crowder, who's just this connective tissue, who's incredibly value, incredibly valuable. These 
this team's going to be good, Corbin. And, and moreover, they're going to be scared because they have, we talked about the Pelicans is what do you do with the score and load? How do you figure out how to balance that? They've got an incredible clutch player in Chris Paul, and they have one of the biggest flamethrowers in the league in Devin Booker. So they've got two guys who can get it in a playoff series. They just got to figure out how to put those pieces together. No, I agree with you. I think for me, one thing I am concerned about is, um, well, not just the the troubling inconsistency with DeAndre Ayton, because you're right, and you mentioned this, for a guy as big as he is, seven feet, like two, what, 250, something like that. He, He's a monster. Yeah, but he doesn't always play like one. Like you said, you know, he has moments where he, and, and moments of extreme indecision. I've seen it several times, you know, get in the pick and roll with Chris Paul, most notably, and then get the ball in the short roll, and instead of just driving all the way to the basket i'm not sure if he's not used to the, to the gravity that he presents or how open he is he'll literally stop in his tracks and then like look out and then decide for the mid-range it's almost like his brain is wired for that mid-range J. um and he's not i mean he can shoot it but i mean by no means is he like a lamarcus aldridge um from that you know from there and he seems to favor that shot all the time and then you have games where he has like against the kings like what seven points on nine shots or you know just startling low volume and aggressiveness and then the other concern i have is and you mentioned this in terms of guys who are going to consistently bring it um uh, from creating offense you look at devin booker to a lesser extent you look at chris paul who else do have? and i saw this again notably against toronto uh there was a lot of pressure down to switch um to the ball to both booker and um paul and the Suns had to call two timeouts because they were getting yeah. the ball to Mikel Bridges. He was making poor decisions. They were able to get the ball to anyone else. They trusted, I guess. Um, I mean, Cameron Payne's out there, but you don't want to go super small and have a third kind of unnecessary ball um, um, ball handling when you have those two guys. It was it was concerning. Yeah, they're, they're going to have to they're going to have to play the matchups. I mean, Bridges and Johnson are going to be what they're going to be. They're going to be guys who can knock down open shots. And Cam Johnson's been that guy for it feels like a hundred years. Um, mm. And Bridges, Bridges is an incredible player going back to his Villanova days and just what he could do. It was very evident that they had an NBA player on their hands, and so they have done a, an incredibly competent job of finding that complementary talent. Uh, but they're going to have to pick their poison. This, this is this is part of the calculus for them that is so uh, so much of, of what their playoff matchup is going to be. Pick your poison is who's got the better matchup. And there are going to be nights, like you alluded to, where they need DeAndre Ayton to be a 25 and 12 guy, like he he has looked at times like he's capable of being. They're going to need that level from him because there are going to be matchups in the playoffs. You know. Aiton had the great game a couple of nights ago when they played the Clippers where he had, I think he had, you know, it's 24 and seven, something like that, but he got the free throw line seven times. He was getting fouled and he was making his presence felt against the Clips. And that's what they're going to need as they find these matchups. And, you know, I mean, I just kind of filter everything through the lens of the regular season is nice. It is for learning. It is for us as fans to learn. It's for teams to learn who they are. And so filtering that through the lens of the playoffs is you're going to have to have nights where DeAndre Ayton is your best player and he can go out there against a, a Zubats or a Serge Ibaka and he can dominate the game and become a player that is tremendously difficult to guard and can win you a ball game or, or do a bulk of the heavy lifting. Because when you have jump shooters, when you have Chris Paul, who is six feet tall and aging, or when you have Devin Booker, who's you know just just an unbelievable scorer, but from night to night, not necessarily is going to be able to 
to carry right, a team. Yeah. You, you're looking for that next guy. I think it's got to be Aiton. And I think he has to win the matchups that he's supposed to win in the Western Conference for them to reach their full potential. And he's growing. Um, he's a player who certainly put a lot of effort into changing his game and, and smoothing out those rough edges because, like I said, he was lost. I mean, defensively at Arizona and then defensively his first year in Phoenix, he was he was a mess. And now it seems like, well, he's finding himself and, and he can play passable, competent defense. And that's tremendous for the Suns, but he, he does need to find a little bit more of that will to dominate uh offensively the matchup yeah yeah i agree with you there i it's it's something um it, it's weird i mean moving forward he definitely has to be the guy to step up and remember uh i was a big i, I think you we, we were still talking a little a lot about this i was a big oh, yeah. big deandre ayton fan uh, I can't imagine and <laughs> no, 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 no Arizona ties or nothing. But okay, you know, big, yeah, uh, can't imagine. <laughs> of course, you know, you know the big uh, Shaq Kobe 2.0 that he mentioned. I ate all that up. Um, so I kind of need to work. But I want to give you a few minutes to wax poetic on one guy who everyone. It, it, it's if you if you haven't been watching basketball, you haven't been up. What is it? If you haven't been a, what is the word I'm looking for? You haven't been a like devout Suns watcher, then this is like your favorite guy. But I know you've known him for a minute now. So, I mean, come on, we're, we watch all the games. What are your thoughts? Give, I'm going to give you a few moments here to wax poetic on Mikel Bridges, who was like all of a sudden everybody's favorite Phoenix Suns. He's like the hipster Phoenix Suns pick. He, I mean, he's, his arms are, I think, if I remember the combine measurements correctly, I think he had like 17-foot wingspan. But, he, you know, he, he's everywhere. He is in passing lanes. He is so difficult to read because of that length. He, you know, you'll see this. You'll see this once a game. You watch the Phoenix Suns. You'll see once a game where a point guard gets in trouble, picks up his dribble, and he looks for that kind of bailout pass. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this apparition with these 17-foot-long arms, these jet, you know, frying pan hands, comes out of nowhere. And that that is Mikel Bridges. He is enormous. He is smart. He is just the perfectly lab-created, adapted player to play defense in the NBA. He can defend multiple positions. This is this is a player that every team wants to be on the lookout for. They need to, they, you know, as you as teams sort of set their sights, the ideal guy that you want to find in that, you know, whatever seven pick seven to pick twenty-one or whatever range is a guy like Mikael Bridges, who's going to be contented for the shots that he's going to get. He's going to pick up scrap shots. He's going to hit three-pointers when he's open. But he's just going to bring a, a lunch pail when he plays yeah. defense. And Bridges is a menace on the ball, but he's just he's just an otherworldly force off the ball. He warps the way teams play uh, because of his ability to defend in space, because of his ability to you know catch people, to hem up drives, to do – all the things that are these little movement things. And, and it's just a, a coupling of all his skills, his, his, his IQ, his length. All these things make this player exactly what he is. And Sun's fantastic. I mean, just what a fantastic job of finding this guy, getting him in a trade. He was going to be a tremendous piece for Philly, and he was a hometown guy going to Villanova. 
but they traded him away for whatever reason. And the, the Phoenix Suns were smart. They had their eye on him. They've been a beneficiary of, of his ability. And this, this hipster status is, is well earned. Like that's what you have to say is people, if people are waking up and they're deciding Mikel Bridges is one of the most fun or exciting or, uh, you know, successful sort of archetype of NBA player, they're exactly right. I mean, every team needs a guy like this and the Phoenix Suns have him and, and, I don't know if that satisfies your criteria for waxing poetic, but this is a guy I love to watch. Hey, no, you did that and in spades. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that, man. Oh, man, it's always fun getting up here to link up with you, Alex. We, we got to do and like, bye again. I mean, like, very, very soon. I'm going to hit you up after this to uh, kind of work out the details there. But um, listen, That's man, with the season, all right, I mean, I get you. We got to get you. I, I said this privately. I'm going to put you out here on here. We got to get you in. Uh, we gotta get your Discord. We gotta get we gotta get the people to talk to you. We have great takes in Lily, y'all. Like this guy is doing this every other day. I just suck at getting on Slack. But um, this is you follow him on Twitter. I kid you not, it is worth it for when he comes on. He's giving um, analytical takes. I mean, red team scouting, and you guys know what he's done with the draft guy the last couple of years. There, where can aside from Twitter, and I'll share that. Where can we find anything you're doing? Anything you're talking about? What's up with? God, man, life has been life has hit me square in the face. Uh, I'm working too much, got pulled away from basketball. Um, so I'm not unfortunately not producing nearly as much content as you hyped me up to do. I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a letdown in terms of that. So you're you're like my creative outlet and I love talking hoops and I love coming on. But uh, unfortunately, it's just been one of those years where. Every time I turn around, I've got to to build a you know a fence for my dogs, or I've got to uh, you know stay late at work to work on some project. So I've been really boring. Uh, I'm getting some stuff done, so that's good. But uh, unfortunately, basketball writing and podcasting and all the fun things about being involved in the NBA community, the NBA Twitter community, meeting people like we met. God, it feels five years ago now. I think it was close to five years ago. Uh, just getting to know all these people, I've, it's kind of taken a back seat. So. It is from the bottom of my heart. I say thank you, Corbin, to have me on. I, I think I probably had to beg you to, to to accept me as some cast off who doesn't to, doesn't participate in the community as much as I should, and, and you let me come on. So I'm very very grateful of that, and I will gladly come back whenever you want. And we can you can just throw a dart at a map and whatever team it's closest to, we can just spend an hour dissecting them. And that's going to be more than enough fun for me in my life. So thanks buddy. I appreciate it. Follow Alex at Alex West red team. I was saying that, you know, we're definitely going to be back on, man. You kind of got me started from way, way back with the N1 analytics. That was, uh, that was fire. Um, Yes, man. And so we got, we got to bring that back and it's always fun talking with you and yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, for Alex, y'all know where to find me, Corbin NBA on Twitter. Uh, check out hoopball, hoop-ball.com online at hoopball tweet. Make sure to check out the Manscaped 20% off your plus free shipping with hoopball20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0. And with that, I'm Frosty. Y'all stay frosty. And I will talk to y'all tomorrow. <laughs> hey, y'all. This has been a Hoopball presentation.